welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. I'm your host, Paula Adams, and I'm happy to report that we have survived another Christmas, and I think everyone was happy with their gifts. I got my husband a turntable, and we've been enjoying listening to some old albums, and I even got some 45s that my mom still had at her house from the 70s and even she even has some even older albums so that's been fun dancing to Casey and the Sunshine Band and some other oldies but goodies so I hope you had a good Christmas with your family and that no one is sick I guess we'll find out you know just how amazingly super contagious Omicron is if everyone comes down with the sneezes and coughs in the next couple days but not to fear they say it's a pretty mild variant so I'm not worried if I get sick so be it I was thinking this morning how even though I'm still pretty much recovering from COVID that I had in, in August so what is that September October November December four months later still don't have my uh, full strength back and you know I I thought to myself that based on everything I've read as far as people who have been vaccinated and still ended up getting very sick or people who got sick after being vaccinated and then they got vaccinated and then they got really sick I mean, there's all kinds of stories out there, and I I just don't, I don't think the vaccines are helping the majority of people. I think if you didn't get sick, that was just because you got lucky. The virus, the virus is um, definitely attacking people based on their specific DNA. So, you know, if you, you just get lucky and you come in contact with the virus and it doesn't affect you then be thankful for that but what really bothers me is how our government is blaming the so-called unvaccinated for any outbreaks um, of supposed outbreaks I I really don't trust anything they say anymore nothing because I just I I think it's all propaganda um As far as something I also was thinking about is that word unvaccinated, the unvaccinated. You know, in in today's culture, it's almost taboo to refer to people by some type of characteristic. Like you can't call homeless people the homeless. You have to say some long phrase like people experiencing homelessness. And things like that. You can't call people disabled. You can't say the disabled. You have to say something like people living with disabilities or whatever. So why is it okay to call people the unvaccinated? Shouldn't we refer to them as people who living without the vaccine? Wouldn't that be the more politically correct term? No, because they want to. They want to demonize people who have made a a choice based on what they think is best for them, they want to demonize them. And 
that right there should scare you. Even if you decided to get the vaccine, it should bother you that our government, our elected officials, if you want to call Biden elected, the people that are in the government that are standing up there making news news uh, press releases and all that, they, they are following a script. They're following a script. And if you watch any of Fauci's news, news programs, his uh, interviews, it's so obvious that the entire show is completely scripted. It's, it's a sales pitch. So it just really makes me wonder who is running this, this organization and why. So for today's podcast, I'm going to read to you a blog post that I wrote um, back in December of last year. I was scrolling through my blog post because this year has been so, so hard on me that I can barely remember, you know, what happened earlier in the year. And if you look through my, my blog articles, you can definitely see how the tone of things changed. And it's not just because we got COVID. It's because I can see so clearly how bad things are getting in our government. It's really scary. And, you know, if you're choosing to just look the other way or you're choosing to be live in denial, that's that's fine. You know, I'm not going to judge anyone for that because it's it's a lot of scary stuff and sometimes it's just you just can't think about it because it's just too much. And I do that too. You know, I take breaks from it. So like for people who worry about me and think that, oh, she's obsessed, don't worry. Just because I talk about it on a blog or a podcast doesn't mean it's the only thing that I think about. I'm still having a, a normal life outside of these 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 podcasts. So anyway, um, this article is about Gilead, which is a biotech pharmaceutical company. And I wrote this article... Um, I just happened to, um, hear something about Donald Rumsfeld in a video on YouTube that I was watching about 9-11. And in that CBS news video, they mentioned Donald Rumsfeld. And I couldn't remember, you know, who he was and what his importance was. So I Googled his name. And I was very shocked and surprised to see that his name came up linked to Gilead, a biotech pharmaceutical company. And this led me to go to Wikipedia, where I started down the rabbit hole of clicking links about Gilead, biotech company startups, investors, other people, and finally ended up putting some of this down in this blog post after about three hours of reading with a few breaks in between. And this this article that I found in The Atlantic was just jaw-dropping. I mean, I just can't even believe that this stuff is happening and no one, no one cares. I mean, like, nobody is, re- no one is even, like, flinching at, at this information 
and I, since I wrote this article, I learned a lot more about the topic, which the topic was Tamiflu. And since then, I've learned even more bad things about it. Uh, but for now, I'm just going to tell you about the article. Um, and the this article definitely is proof that money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that every, every evil plan, everything you see happening, it's all, if you trace it back, just follow the money is what they say. And that is just really true. So the article below, I'm going to read an excerpt. It comes from The Atlantic. And The Atlantic is a, you know, um, it may not be as good now as it used to be, but it's a, it's a respected um, magazine. And since this came from 2009, to me, to me, articles from before, uh, you know, before Obama and before things started really going downhill uh, seem even better. So maybe Obama, when did he come in? 2008? I don't know. Well, anyway, so this article was written in 11 of 2009, and it's called Does the Vaccine Matter? So here's a quote. The U.S. first began stockpiling Tamiflu and Relenza back in 2005 in the wake of concern that an outbreak in Southeast Asia of bird flu, a far more deadly form of the disease, might go global. On November 1, 2005, President George W. Bush pronounced pandemic flu a danger to our homeland. See? 2005, and he asked Congress to approve legislation that included $1 billion for the production and stockpiling of antivirals. This was after Congress had already approved $1.8 billion to stockpile Tamiflu for the military, a decision that was made during the tenure of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld. Before joining the Bush cabinet, Rumsfeld was chairman for four years of Gilead Sciences, the company that holds the patent on Tamiflu, and he held millions of dollars worth of stock in the company. According to Roll Call, an online newspaper covering events on Capitol Hill, Rumsfeld says he recused himself from all government decisions involving Tamiflu. Gilead's stock price rose more than 50% in 2005, when the government's plan was announced. As with vaccines, the scientific evidence for Tamiflu and Relenza is thin at best. As late as this August, the company's own website contained the following statement, which was written under the direction of the FDA. Tamiflu has not been proven to have a positive impact on the potential consequences such as hospitalization, mortality, or economic impact of seasonal avian or pandemic influenza. Okay, did you hear that? It has not been proven to have an impact on hospitalization, mortality, or economic impact. An FDA spokesperson said recently that the agency is unaware of any data submitted by Roach that would support the claims in the company's September 2006 news release about the drugs reducing flu deaths. And Postscript, 
Um, how many ended up dying from swine flu, H1N1, in 2009? According to the CDC, 12,469 deaths, no more than the deaths from seasonal flu. Okay, back to the article on August 10th, 2010, WHO, the World Health Organization, declared an end to the global 2009 H1N1 influenza pandemic, which was actually a very limited. However, the virus continues to circulate as a seasonal flu virus and cause illness, hospitalization, and deaths worldwide every year. In April 12th, from April 12th, 2009 to April 10th, 2010, a one-year span, the CD estimates there were 60 million cases, 274,000 hospitalizations, and 12,000 deaths due to the virus. A follow-up study done in September 2010 showed that the risk of serious illness resulting from the H1N1 flu was no higher than that of the yearly seasonal flu. So, let me pause here for a station identification, and then I'm going to find you another article about Tamiflu. Okay, so I also found this really shocking article called uh, The Tamiflu Campaign, and this is in the bmj.com. Uh, so it's a something journal. I, I can't. I don't remember if that's the British Medical Journal or what, but it's the BMJ.com, and it's talking about Tamiflu and Relenza. Okay, um, there. This was a um, a campaign where they investigated Tamiflu that in it lasted nearly four years and it and it says that it helped start a movement towards increased transparency of clinical trial data since the mid-2000s governments have spent billions of pounds so this is obviously british uh, stockpiling two anti-influenza drugs tamiflu and relenza When the so-called swine flu emerged, the UK and Australian governments commissioned a rapid update of an existing Cochrane review of the drugs. As the review team began its work, it received an unexpected criticism and challenge by a Japanese pediatrician. He pointed out that the key piece of evidence was based on a manufacturer-authored pooled analysis of 10 manufacturer-funded trials, and eight of those were unpublished. So, it was, the recommendation of putting this this drug out was all based on a, a manufacturer analysis. So the team set out to respond to the challenge by requesting the eight unseen trials. They were met with major challenges. They did not want to let them see this information. So the lead author of the pivotal Tamiflu trial told the BMJ, I did not perform an analysis of the primary data, which was not required or requested by JAMA, 
or the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association at the time of submission. I did not have access to the primary data, which I also never requested. And then they asked another author of the, the other tra- Pam, Tamiflu treatment trial, and he said he did not recall seeing the primary data. He said that the statistical analysis had been conducted by Roach, that's the manufacturer, and he just analyzed their data. Uh, Tom Jefferson received a similar response from the authors of the pooled analysis. And um, they, were, they were sent to Roche, but were only offered the data under a condition of a secret confidentiality agreement, which they refused to sign. So we, what we are talking about here is that the U.S. and Australia and England all stockpiled Tamiflu based on fake or very secretive data that was put out by the manufacturer themselves. And if we search into this more, we find out, you know, that after the fact, it it became obvious that Tamiflu was a terrible drug. It either did nothing or it made things worse. And if if it didn't do anything, you were one of the lucky ones. So why am I talking about this? Because this medication is very, very similar to the new COVID pills that have been released. And I'm not the I'm not making that up. I read that in a scientific article. It said that the COVID pills being put out by Pfizer and Merck are similar to Tamiflu. And so what are we seeing again? Our government is purchasing millions of these pills and they have similar, very sketchy um, data and data that shows that they really don't help that many people. I mean, the, they are using the number 89% effectiveness. That is, just a, that is just a useless statistic. It does not represent the actual effectiveness of the medication. So do your own research and you may be shocked to find out just how little these medications help. So which medications actually do help? Well, maybe the monoclonal antibodies if you get them within like two days of being exposed. Other than that, pretty much nothing is going to help against these viruses except just getting over it and developing your own immunity. So I'll put the links to these two articles in the show notes, but here, here's a summary of what they found out after their four-year uh, investigation. They found out that WHO, the World Health Organization that is also in charge right now of the pandemic, was recommending Tamiflu, but had not vetted the underlying data. The EMA had approved Tamiflu, but had not vetted the data. The CDC was encouraging the use and stockpiling of Tamiflu on the basis of the manufacturer analysis, but had not vetted the data. 
the CDC promotion occurred despite the fact that since 2000, the FDA had required Roach to add a statement to Tamiflu's product labeling that said, quote, serious bacterial infections may begin with influenza-like symptoms or may coexist with or occur as complications during the course of influenza. Tamiflu has not been shown to prevent such complications. In other words, and this is another fact that you may be interested to know, that most of the people who died from the Spanish flu of 1918 died from bacterial infections. Okay, and the next thing is, the majority of Roach's Phase three treatment trials were unpublished a decade after completion. The above facts all remain true today as of the writing of this article, February 2019. 2019 was not that far before the first uh, case of coronavirus was admitted. The, which we have to remember that the COVID is, this, is basically a second SARS virus or a modification of it. So, I'm going to put the links to that if you want to look at the data yourself. Why do I care about this? I've had certain people tell me that, oh, you know, you shouldn't just not think about this stuff. I, I'm going to go down fighting. And I, I believe that we, uh, that we people, we citizens, are, our health is at, in danger. Our health is in danger because of big pharma and government have come together to sell drugs despite the fact that they do nothing and may even be dangerous. And I just wish people would open their eyes. A lot of people believe that vaccines are safe and effective because they think that they're getting vaccines like they got when they were kids which even those have some questionable history that you should read. But the vaccines that we are getting today are not the same. All of these mRNA vaccines and are an experiment. Yes, they have been researching mRNA medications for many years, but this is the first time they have been used as a vaccine against a coronavirus on a worldwide scale like this. This is an experiment. So if you got the vaccine, you are part of the experiment. And I don't care. Don't tell me that the FDA approved these drugs. The FDA also approved Tamiflu, and it does nothing. As well as many other harmful drugs that ended up being taken off the market. So what should you do? Well, you should start questioning things and not just, don't trust your, your doctor to, to tell you the facts. You have to do your own research. And if, you know, if you don't want to, fine. But I tried. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to get the information out there. I've noticed that my uh, listenership has dropped way down on my podcast, and that's fine. You know, even if just one person listens to it and uh, learns something, then that's worth it. 
If nothing else, I'm just getting it down for posterity. And also, I'd like to refer you back to a previous podcast I made called um, The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster. That's such a really amazing story, and I listened to that again myself today. It's, it's, a, it's a short story. It was written in 1909, and it's a, it's a, future, a futuristic story where people are completely dependent on technology, and they never leave their house. They just, well, they, they literally exist in a little room underground in this, because the world, you know, the world has been damaged or whatever. But it's, it's a pretty interesting and has so many parallels to what we're seeing now with the, the shrinking of, you know, more people are just staying home, more people are only commu- communicating through technology and not face-to-face. And I know, like, my friends in Texas, it may not be quite that bad, but this is, this is a lot worse in, in liberal states, uh, where people were locked down and they got used to it, and, and that's how, that's how tyranny works, is tyranny is a long game, and it's a, it's a step-by-step process of breaking people down and making them forget what normal life was like. And it just really just like saddens me and blows my mind to see how society has just come so far down in the past two years and with no end in sight. So I am seeing some encouraging things. I'm starting to see that some of the people in the government who went along with this stuff from the beginning are starting to push back a little bit and starting to be like, uh, you know, when are we going to see the end of the pandemic? I mean, not everyone is brainwashed. So if we can all like come together and do not comply, that needs to be our mantra. Do not comply with this tyranny that is being being uh, brought in under the guise of fear of disease. And like I said, if I get sick if I get sick again, it's okay. I mean, I don't like being sick. I hate I hate feeling bad. I hate being sick. But if that happens, then so be it. If I die, so be it. I just I refuse to live in fear of of a virus and I refuse to be controlled by the government so you know if you if you think about things differently that's fine we can still be friends and we don't even have to talk about covid and or anything else but if you're listening to this hopefully that means you agree with me somewhat um so anyway um this week is the snowdrop race wednesday is packet pickup it's snowdrop 55 hour race it raises money for children's cancer if you have some extra money and you'd like to make a donation just go to the snowdrop foundation online and and look for the donate button and it's right this organization is legit it's raised millions of dollars for children with cancer in houston and uh, it's a really great organization and I'll be out there. Uh, who knows if, if I'll be able to walk more than three miles. But 
in the past, I did 100 miles one year and 120 miles another year. So that was a pretty different time from where I'm at. But today I started a new diet and I'm going to try to make my comeback in 2022 and get myself back out there and maybe by 20 by next year's snowdrop who knows we'll see how i'm doing so anyway uh, god bless you all and thank you for listening please share and leave me a review on apple podcast and spotify thanks for listening bye so i wanted to add a little bit more i forgot to mention the fact that Our dear friend, Anthony Fauci, was involved in Tamiflu. Shocking, right? Um, It was his brilliant idea to stockpile the Tamiflu back in uh, 2005. And on C-SPAN, he claimed that uh, that the U.S. would need vaccines, Tamiflu, public health measures, and surveillance capabilities... This was in 2005 when he was talking about beating back the avian flu. He, he claimed that Roach's Wonder Drug would decrease the number of days of symptoms by one. One. He acknowledged that there was no conclusive data showing that Tamiflu was effective against the bird flu. But he stated that we assume it will work and that there's a reasonable assumption that it will work. So people who like to, uh, say, follow the science, do you think that assuming something will work, is that science? Because that's not how I learned to do science. Fauci is not a scientist. Fauci is a salesman for big pharma. And that pretty much proves it right there says, uh, Fauci, and this is an article on anti-empire.com, anti-empire.com. It says, as NPR reported at the time, Fauci supported stockpiling enormous amounts of Tamiflu, but he didn't want lawmakers to get the wrong idea that the drug was a silver bullet. We have no hard scientific data of how well this antiviral will perform under the conditions of a pandemic. What this antiviral does is diminish the duration of symptoms by approximately a day and a half. But then they also quoted Frederick Hayden the of the University of Virginia School of Medicine who said that Tamiflu can provide a great deal of benefit if given to patients before they develop severe symptoms. He was a paid consultant for Roche. So fast forward to um, April 2009. Um, Roche received emergency authorization to manufacture Tamiflu to treat and prevent influenza in children under one year of age, while Glasgow Smith-Kline was charged with pumping out a Tamiflu variant for adult consumption. Uh, Fauci told the U.S. Senate that Tamiflu was a powerful weapon in the anti-pandemic arsenal. I mean, the more you read this, you see that Tamiflu was a total lie based on nothing based on nothing but trying to make money. Um, 
And it's also been linked to potentially fatal heart problems. So does the Tamiflu tale end here with fraud and heart failure? Things became even more embarrassing as reality caught up with Fauci's antiviral pill peddling. Uh, the article that I was reading earlier from the Cochrane collaboration, the investigation on the BMJ.com, uh, revealed that there was little or no evidence that Tamiflu was effective against influenza at all. Once this information was handed over, the miracle drug was exposed as snake oil. One and a half billion dollars for a pill that cuts the symptoms down by 12 hours. So, just thought you might want to hear about Mr. Fauci, our, our uh, White House COVID expert. That's what they call him. He is, he is a, a con man and a snake oil salesman. And there's your proof.